Hey everyone, welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Shearer, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming my guest, JQ Williams, to the show. JQ is a warm and energetic teacher based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, and Los Angeles, California. As owner of Northern Yoga Center, you can catch her for weekly classes and workshops, but don't be surprised if you find her leading deep house yoga at festivals or guiding retreats out of the country. She loves backbends and arm balances and has a strong practice, but her secret love is the depth of her restorative practice. Her classes are always different, providing a variety of ways to access the poses through flow, alignment, and inquiry. Each class will hold a surprise, a unique twist or turn that keeps students constantly learning and growing. So welcome to the show, JQ. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I was saying before, your practice has always inspired me so much. Um, we'll, we'll link JQ's Instagram at the end of this so you guys can see, but she can get into some of the most beautiful poses and and. It's, you know, physically very inspiring, but she is also just such a wonderfully bright human being as well. And it's really nice to see that that combination. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, why don't we kick it off by you just sharing with everybody, um, how old were you when you first found yoga and, and how did you find it? Well, okay. So the very first time I was introduced to yoga, I was like 11 or 12, but I wouldn't say like, I really knew yoga. It was this very strange woman who came (laughs) to my gymnastics studio. Um, and our coaches demanded that we do yoga and she, um, (laughs) dove into some deeper practices that I can appreciate now. But as like an 11 year old gymnast, I was like, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so that was my first experience with it. But the second experience was in college. I was a, I was a pole vaulter, and I had had a pretty nasty spill, and then um, didn't really seek treatment. Like I landed, I landed on my face, and my feet scorpioned over my body at an angle, so I kind of like wrung out my spine like a dishcloth. <laughs> and um, yeah, just I was like, oh, I'm fine, you know, brush it off, walk it off, total athlete mentality. And um, two weeks later, I woke up and I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed and I, uh, I reached my, my phone and I called one of my roommates who is a football player. And I was like, Hey, I, I can't get out of bed. Can you, can you help me? Fortunately, we, we lived right across the street from the athletic center. And so he carried me over there and I saw the, the back specialist and she was like, did you fall? I was like, yeah. She's like, when? two weeks ago and she was like what <laughs> uh, apparently like my spine was totally out of alignment and no wonder I couldn't walk like my psoas and my ql had both gone into spasm um and then like erector spinae were all freaking out as well and um it took a while to get myself back to a place where I could move with ease but the problem was I was so tight because all I was doing was like power lifting and you know, lots of sprints and handstands and just explosive work. And those muscles that were so tight. And after two weeks of continuing to run with my spine out of alignment, they had acclimated and kept trying to pull my spine back out of alignment. Also, you know, you couple all of this with an asymmetrical sport, you know, pole vaults always 
on one side. And you have one knee going forward, one leg going back, one arm going forward, one arm going up, you're back bending, and then you're curling up in a ball, and then you're twisting and flying. And it's just, you know, um, it's really hard on the body. And so the physical therapist was like, you've got to do some yoga, something to loosen up your muscles so they stop yanking your spine out of alignment. So I go to the the yoga teacher at my college, her name's Londa Wheatley, and she was such such the yogi, so peaceful, and she always smelled really nice, like something very herbal. And I remember thinking like, oh God, I'm like the epitome of not a yogi. Here I am like doing keg stands on the weekend (laughs) and then coming into yoga and um, like couldn't touch my toes. Now, yes, I was a gymnast. I was a dancer. My body did have some kind of muscle memory of flexibility. But when I started, I did not have flexibility. I couldn't bring my chin to my chest, even just sitting with my legs out in front of me, that hurt immensely down my spine. And uh, so for me, it was just a very physical practice. I considered it stretching, but I didn't consider myself a yogi because I wasn't as connected to the universe as the beautiful Londa was. And then one day she played singing bowls. And in that womb, womb, something happened. And I I dropped into myself and it was like, I could feel my heart beating in every cell. And like, I was at the bottom of the ocean and the ocean was myself. And uh, that was the first time I experienced Samadhi bliss connection to something deeper in myself beyond my physical being beyond my conscious awareness. And that was the moment that I really found yoga. So fast forward a few years and my yoga practice has been my saving grace. It's been, you know, it, it got me through a divorce. It got me through my first job in LA where people would just scream at me for, you know, 12, 14 hours of work a day. And then I met this woman, Kumi, and she was like, JQ, why do you always take the level one classes? And I was like, well, I don't, I can't do everything perfect yet. Why would I move on to level two if I don't have level one down? (laughs) And she laughed and she said, GQ, it's, you're never going to have everything. And it's not about having everything. It's about really just learning about yourself and feeling. She's like, come to my level two class. It'll be fun. It'll be playful and it'll, it'll push you beyond your comfort zone. And so I went to her level two class and then she pushed me into her level three and a few months later, I was in crow pose and she was talking about the, the pushing through the hands and really drawing the belly up. And all of a sudden, my knees floated off of my arms and up into a handstand I went. And then boom, a bunch of people jumped over on my mat. They're like, how did you do that? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, it's kind of like this. And I was doing that. And Kumi's watching this whole thing go down. And she was like, hey, so you should do teacher training. And I was like, no, man, no, no, no. I, you know, I just, I do yoga for me. I don't have, I don't have time to teach. I've got this whole other career that's kicking my ass. And she was like, well, yeah, I mean, do it for you. Like just to, to know yourself better, to, to learn the practice. So I did teacher training. And then at the end, she offered me an internship. And again, I said, no, no, no. I, you know, I've got too much going on. And she was like, yes, yes, yes. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And um, that's kind of, that was kind of the story for most of my my yoga career was me saying no and the universe saying yes. 
and that was even, you know, as I mentioned to you when we weren't um, on this call, you know, even with my yoga studio, when it was presented to me, I said, no, no, no. And someone else said, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden I said, okay. <laughs> and um, I think that's kind of, for me, the root of the yoga is finding the ease, you know, the, the sukha. It's, um, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being ready. It's about embracing what's coming up for you and, you know, going where your soul pulls you and hearing where your soul pulls you through your body, through your movement. I mean, it's not about the press handstand. It's not about the big crazy poses, but in the process of learning those things, you learn about yourself. What's, what's the dialogue like with yourself? What, like, how do you, how do you talk to yourself? You know, what does your body respond to? Clearly my body did not respond to me berating it. You know, like for years I was so hard on myself. I hated my body and I would demand that it did what I told it to do. And it often wouldn't. And something happened when I stopped demanding and I started listening to what it wanted. And that was when my practice really opened up. That was through the restorative practice. Like you mentioned from my bio, you know, those sweet long holds where you're just listening and breathing and feeling. Those are the things that took my practice to where it is now. Not even, not all the need and noses, not all the chaturangas, you know, the, the true strength came from an internal stability. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that was so beautifully said. And I think that that is a really profound moment for a lot of people in their yoga practice when they get to that point where the stillness becomes more important. Because like you, I think a lot of people come to yoga for very physical reasons. Um, I did, and most people that I know did as well. And so they're really in it for the physical practice of it, whether it's to, you know, like, break a sweat or become more flexible or get stronger and do those really cool poses. And so I hear from a lot of people that in slower, more restorative classes that they're bored. But yeah. then they get to that point where the restorative classes really become like where all the juiciness is and like you feel mm. the most transformation because you're going so much deeper within in those longer holds. Um, and I think that is such a beautiful kind of point to, to get to in, in a yoga practice. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, and, you know, I found one thing I really love in Restore is doing like resist and release work. So you, mm. you get into a stretch, you activate the muscle that you're stretching or surrounding muscles, and then you relax them. And something about that kind of work, not only does it open you up, but it builds strength in your deepest point of flexibility. And when you have that, it increases the strength in the entire range of motion. So even just from like a physical aspect, the restorative practice allows you to get stronger, right? But then you have the mental practice of like the patience. You know, I, I have a lot of people who come to me for handstands, right? Because that's my jam. And most of them want the handstand so bad that like they can just like, oh, you know, like I've got to uh -huh. do a handstand. And I... I I'm telling you, the more you want the handstand, the more elusive it will be. And it'll be that day that you don't really care that you're going to do it, that you're like with some friends and you're like, yeah, I've been trying to do handstand for a while and I'm really struggling with it. Look how hard it is. And then <laughs> you casually go to do it and then boom, you're up there and you're holding it and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm doing a handstand. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, isn't that the case with life in general? <laughs> the more we try to force something and push something to happen, the less it happens. And then the second we turn our backs, boom, there it is. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Relationships, work. Uh-huh. All of it. <laughs> All of it. And so you shared that like yoga was really important for you when you were going through your divorce and when you were going through a stressful time at work um, and all these kind of like externally challenging situations. So what would you say personally your some some of your biggest lessons from your yoga practice have been? Ah, that's big. You know, it's one of the most important things for me was detachment. And when I say detachment, I mean detaching from the conscious physical experience. I I didn't even realize until maybe a year ago. And this is with, you know, years of a lot of awareness. I've been teaching for seven years now, and I had no idea that I suffer from a pretty substantial amount of anxiety. For years, I just thought like, oh, I'm a little like emotional sometimes. Um, (laughs) And what would help with yoga was kind of like burning off the scene. So, you know, I, I had a psychic once tell me that I was like a Ferrari, you know, I've got to, I've got to drive myself, you know, I've got to burn, burn some of the fuel off so that I can stay like healthy and lubricated in my soul. But a lot of what that was, was burning off the pent up energy, the anxiety and when I would do that, and in that moment, like I said, in Shavasana, that when she, when she played the singing bowls and I dropped in, I detached from my physical experience. I detached from my pain and suffering. And I, I found that there was a deeper part of myself that could observe my little human self. And over the years, what that's turned into is when I'm sad, I allow myself to see sad JQ as maybe seven-year-old JQ when I like cut my own bangs crooked (laughs) and (laughs) just, you know, visually allowing her to be sad. And what would, what would she need? Like, how would she need to be held emotionally? Cause it's not about, you know, as a kid, when you're sad, you know, it's not about someone giving you a gift to make you feel better or rubbing your back. It's the energy that's behind anything that someone else does for you that really helps you feel better? And how can I go into myself and cultivate that feeling for the hurt part of myself? So it's, it's almost like a splitting into two. Um, And that sounds a little psychotic. I'm not going to lie, but the cool thing about it is when you, when you can detach from your, your human self, right. And see it as okay, this self is thinking, this self is having anxiety, this self is sad, this self is angry. You can see that there's a deeper part of yourself that can can witness, oh, this is happening. What do I need? Instead of being the one that is in the suffering, because when you're suffering, you know, rational thought is like hard. (laughs) Is that hard for you? Or is it just me? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You just start to go down the rabbit hole of like all these insane thoughts that don't make any sense at all. But in the moment, they feel so real. Right. Yeah. But so then when you step back from that person, and so I kind of, I see my my wiser self as like an 80-year-old super wrinkly JQ that <laughs> looks down at like, you know, sad JQ is usually about seven years old. Anxious JQ is usually about 25, right? Angry JQ is maybe like 17. 
And for me, you know, it, everyone has different things that they can associate with their emotions. There was that one like animated movie that did a really good job. I don't remember what that was called. Oh, Inside Out. Yes. So, so good. good. Yeah. So kind of like Inside Out has those different characters. For me, it's like different ages of self because I've had different struggles at different ages. And I allow my 80-year-old self like to give wisdom to the self in the moment. And that awareness, that ability to detach came from those days when I would go to like a crazy sweaty class and like was so exhausted that I was almost out of my mind and it, it allowed me to detach. And you know what, in a way, yes, that's totally spiritual bypassing. Just like, you know, smoking a joint is bypassing your emotions. However, when you, when you get these tools to help you cope, you can learn how to let go, how to detach. And that was the beauty of my yoga practice is it helped me learn by force almost how to detach, how to let something go. I did not even understand how to let go of anger before my yoga class, before my yoga practice. Like someone would be like, well, just let it go. I'd be like, what do you mean let it go? I can't let it go. It's just right. here, you know, it's, it's, it's in me and I can't stop the thoughts. At least that's, that's how I felt. And, um, yeah, like physically exhausting myself was the first step to that detachment. And then it came, you know, meditation came and chanting came and, you know, mantra practice with like malas came and all of these different tools, you know, you know, yoga, it's, it's not just the asana. That's, that's one part of yoga. Yoga is, you know, the bringing together of the self and you can you can find that union when you're walking, you know, and the sun's shining on your face and you can almost like picture just bliss all around you. It can come when you're petting your dog and you just have that moment of connection where you lose all sense of time and you detach from worries, from thought, and you are so present in that little moment. Mm. Wow. I'm so glad that you brought that up and shed light on that because I think that anxiety is something that so many people struggle with. And a lot of people struggle with it in silence because, you know, they might not, like you, have been able to put a label on it or they just might not know what to do with it. And I think yoga is one of the most powerful tools for anxiety and and everybody can benefit from it. So totally. thank you for sharing that. You know, I always think of like, I love metaphors, clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you speak so poetically. I love it. So give us all the metaphors. <laughs> I think of my anxious mind as a pond that is being rained on, right? And the days where I have more anxiety, there are so many droplets hitting that surface that it is indiscernible which thought, which feeling is creating which wave. Mm. And on those days, I need like a boulder to get tossed into my pond to create a wave that I can actually feel. And that boulder might be an intense asana practice. Unfortunately, sometimes that boulder is the universe like, hey, lady, <laughs> wake up. <laughs> yep. But the yoga practice allows me to, to lessen the rain, right? To, to slow the thoughts. And then eventually you know, the, the pond surface is a little bit more clear. And that's when the real work starts to happen because that's when intention and thought patterning and things like that, those can be waves 
that you can witness in the pond. You can feel the effects of it. But when you're so lost in that pain and suffering, you can't feel the effects of one intentional thought. You know, you, sometimes you need that big, you know, to really shake things up. Mm, gosh, that really has to be one of the most beautiful <laughs> descriptions of, of how yoga actually impacts the psyche that I've heard. Oh. And I, I hope that that resonates with a lot of people because it's so true. <laughs> and for anybody listening who maybe hasn't tried yoga yet, that that should be enough motivation, motivation to get you there for sure. <laughs> um, all right. So one last question before we wrap up. Besides yoga, what is one other wellness practice or habit that you can't live without or that you swear by? It can be anything from nutrition to physical practice to mindfulness, anything. Mm. I mean, okay. So I'm going to have to say meditation. But for me, meditation doesn't necessarily mean sitting. But on the days when my, like, you know, I was recently in this car accident and I can't move around like I like to. So it is meditation. But sometimes that meditative state for me comes from ecstatic dance. And um, even when I can't do my ecstatic dance and shake my arms and stick my tongue out and shake my head, <laughs> um, I can still I can still sit and access those feelings. And there was one meditation in particular that really has gotten me through so many challenges. And that is focusing on remembering a moment where I felt love, either from someone or for someone. And then I remember that, that fuzzy feeling in my chest. And I just focus on recultivating it. The same way you can close your eyes right now. Like close your eyes and feel that you are on the beach. Feel what you remember the sun being on your face right? Feel like yeah, you can actually like almost viscerally cultivate the feeling of being on the beach, the sand between your toes, the soft tickle of the wind against your skin. The same way you can recultivate that moment where you felt love. And for me, love is a powerful motivator. So when I go into my meditation, even sitting, but sometimes dancing, I remember the, the times that I've felt love. And maybe it's just a pinprick at first. And I try to cultivate that vibration, that sensation at the nerve endings around my heart and then let it expand and expand. And some days it stays at just a pinprick, but some days I can expand that vibration until it's filling my whole body and I am just abuzz with love. And when I come out of meditation, it is just joy and I have so much to give. I feel like there's no way that I could ever be without love, even if someone I loved went away because I have all the love I need inside of me. And for me, that's the best fuel. Mm, wow. What a beautiful practice. I am definitely going to start incorporating that into <laughs> my daily routine. I, I haven't heard that one before. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. It's Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. And so I know you have some workshops and events coming up. So where can people find you if they want to find more, out more about your classes, your workshops, your teaching, all of that? The best way to find me is yoga with JQ. It's my Gmail, my website, my Instagram, my Facebook, my Snapchat, my Twitter. It's everything. Yoga with JQ. And if you're in Minnesota, come to Northern Yoga Center or even just check out our website. We have amazing workshops and I'm leading 
Well, I'm leading a retreat next week in Mexico, um, but I'm also leading another one in northern Minnesota where we'll go up and mine our own amethyst in Canada for a day and then come down and do some vision board um, classes with some of the other teachers from Northern Yoga Center and uh, a bunch of yoga, hiking, meditation, lots of really cool things happening at my studio. And then if you're not in Minnesota, I'm going to be headlining the uh, Nomadic Yoga Festival in Santa Fe, or not Santa Fe, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'll be teaching at Manifestation, and that's um, hosted by Debbie Siegel. She's the yoga evangelist, or it used to be Yoga Girls with her and uh, another woman, but they've they're doing their own things now. Um, and you know, I'm just, I'm all over the place, but the best way to find me is yoga with JQ on Instagram, um, or Facebook. My website is there. I'm bad at updating it, but it is there and you can find my contact info there. Um, but yeah, Instagram, I would say you'll get the fastest reply. Amazing. Okay. I will link all of JQ. JQ's um, info in the podcast description so you guys can follow her and I highly recommend checking her out and going to some of her workshops and retreats if you can because she if you can't tell already from these last 20 minutes she's an incredible human being Um, (laughs) thank you so much for being on today it was so wonderful chatting with you oh thank you for having me of course (laughs) yeah and to everybody who's listening today. Um, Again, make sure to go and follow JQ and don't forget to subscribe for updates on my website at empowered-bodies.com so you can get updated on all the latest episodes and guests on the podcast. And until next time, have a happy, healthy day. 